Hello and welcome to the Worcester Observer podcast. I'm your host, Rob George. Joining me in our pre-Christmas chat is Claire Bullivant, as always, my regular podcast partner. Welcome, Claire. Hello. We're getting very close to Christmas now. I know, it's nearly here. Nearly here. Haven't done any shopping yet, but don't tell Have anyone. Have you not? No, not yet. Very badly organised. See, I've been really organised this year. It's first year ever and I'm feeling quite like proud of myself. Uh, well, it's I'm a good enthralled feeling, to anybody Rob. that's organised. <laughs> I, I am enthralled and I'm forever in people's debt that are organised. One year I will get organised, but it won't be this year. I don't think we're going to take you through uh we're going to cover two really big stories this week um things that have drawn people's attention and things we think you need to know just before christmas and we are going to start with the tremendously sad uh inquest into the death of alessandro frumenzi um you may remember in the summer uh he was seen falling from sabrina bridge into the water and his body was recovered Sadly, 48 hours later, near Kempsey. Uh, At an inquest on Tuesday, we're recording this Wednesday morning. On Tuesday, an inquest into his death was held in his... um, with the family's consent, although nobody was at the court uh, to hear it, but they gave their consent for the coroner, David Reid, to press ahead with the inquest. And his verdict was uh, that, tragically, Alessandro committed suicide. It's a tremendously sad story. Um, I won't go into too much detail for obvious reasons, but it's thought that Alessandro was really quite happy and he was described by his uh, flatmate, uh, Andre Zaganu as being the happiest he's ever seen him when his mum came, when Alessandro's mother came over from her native Romania to see him for his 18th birthday in April of this year. Uh, but then a path of withdrawal and sadness set in uh, until the night that we now know that Alessandro decided to take his own life. And I think it's just a very, very sad story. And it grieves me grieves me quite painfully to know that an 18-year-old thought there was no way out other than to take his own life. Oh, it's so... It's awful, isn't it? I remember this story from the summer and... We didn't know at the time, did we, any of this no. background information, really. And um, the poor family, his poor family in Romania, I mean, it must be so tragic, but also they must feel so far away from where it all happened, yeah. being in a whole other country. Awful. It is uh, tremendously sad. And um, there were witnesses um, to the night that saw him on the bridge and actually spoke to him on the bridge, and nobody thought he was going to take the action that he ultimately did. And I was commenting on this to actually the clerk of the coroner's court yesterday. I, You know, the amount of people in the city that will still be thinking, well, what if I'd have done this? What if I'd done and said that, you know, he'd still be alive? But I think the most important point to get across is none of us know how another person is truly feeling. I'm sitting here now. Claire doesn't know how I'm truly feeling and vice versa because unless we open up about how we're truly feeling, we, we are, as human beings are conditioned to sort of get on with it and mm. certainly I think in Britain there's still too much of the stiff upper lip and, you know, get on with it, you know, keep your chin up. And I do think a lot of young men have a problem and, and older men. I think it's a male thing. You 
us women, we seem to talk a lot more to our friends. And I'm sorry for really generalising here, but I do think... I don't think you are. Yeah, I do think a lot of men don't talk to their friends about what's going on and they they don't admit if they're lonely or sad or have these, you know, these issues that often they say, don't they, a problem shared is a problem halved. Mm. And it really is. But it's so important to open up, as you say. And I just feel so desperately sorry that this young young man who had everything to live for obviously was going through something that who knows what what it was even and we also don't know if people do have mental illness in no, there no. going on as well i mean what what are the solutions how can we stop these things happening i think for i think i don't think you generalize and i think masculinity goes two ways one it's yes there's the old caveman uh, thing that the you know the provider and I can understand that I certainly, you know, there's part of me that I'm the provider, when you, especially when you have a family. But the masculinity works the other way, is that it prevents men from admitting they're struggling because it's seen as not masculine to need help, that you're a man, you're supposed to be this great problem solver for everybody. Uh, when in truth, there are people out there and it's not like the help isn't there. I mean, if you, I can understand you can't talk if you can't talk to a family member, um, you know, you don't want to burden them with your problems, but, you know, your GP is there, you know, in everything you say will never leave the consulting room. If you get referred to other people, it will never leave the consulting room. You can address the problem completely privately. Um, or failing that, there are charity, there are charities there, or... Samaritans, exactly. an incredible organisation. But we've also got Mind and other mental health charities. And the big thing I always take away every year that we always have mental World Mental Health Awareness Day is that, and the catchy, the slogan is actually true, it is okay not to be okay. Mm. And of course, there are medications as well for depression. And the first medication yeah. might not work, the second one might not work, but you just have to keep trying and find a medication which suits yeah. you. And I've got friends who have depression and have told me before that they have been suicidal, but they've got onto the right medication and mm. now they're absolutely fine. There is light at the end of the tunnel and help there out there. there is. It is just reaching out to get that help. Isn't and I think it? it's important as well to say medication would uh, resolve it, but also unburdening yourself may reduce the need for medication. It isn't just, oh dear, I can't, I don't want to admit this because, oh, I don't want to take tablets and I don't want to be on medication and I don't want to say that. I'm on antidepressants because antidepressants have this great stigma mm. that somehow you're weak if you take them, which is absolute rubbish. And I nearly said a strong, much, much stronger word then. And I remembered I was broadcasting. Um, and I think it's just, I hope those that encountered Alessandro don't feel guilty because the truth is, if I could address you directly, you don't know. You, you don't know for certain. You can't walk. You know, the saddest thing is he was on the bridge. You'll walk across any bridge in Worcester or any city or any town. There'll be people standing in the middle of the bridge simply admiring the view and passing the time. Mm. You can't just assume anyone on a bridge is, oh, well, he's, he must be depressed. Mm. And that's the tragedy of it all because we don't know. 
And especially at this time of year, a lot of people are lonely. If, yeah. you know, they're spending Christmas on their own, people might have these awful thoughts. And we did a podcast earlier, actually, um, with one of the local paramedics for one of our other newspapers. And he was saying, if you do have an elderly neighbour or something, a mince pie and a Christmas card popping over just does the world of good for people. It's just important to reach out to mm-hmm. absolutely everybody, a smile, a Christmas card and a mince pie mm. are just, you know, the answers to some Kindness goes a long prayers. way. Yeah. Uh, kindness goes a long way. It's amazing. It doesn't cost anything either. Uh, but being a listening ear, if somebody you know needs to talk, talk, you, they don't necessarily want answers from you. Mm. If somebody close to you needs to talk, they're not necessarily seeking an answer. They don't, they don't want you to go, well, I do this, this and this. They may just literally want to lift the burden off their shoulders. Which I think is another big difference, actually, between men and women. Because sometimes when you do tell men things, they do try and give you a solution. Yeah. Whereas women just listen and empathise and, all yeah. and, you know. It is true. It is yeah. It is so, so um, very true. And I've just remi- reminded myself in my head uh, for something I actually wanted to say. Um and you mentioned about Christmas, and whilst it's great and we're all going to have a very good time and everything, it can add to the strain that's already there and it could actually create problems or exacerbate problems that people have already got. It is okay, as I said, not to be okay. If you can't speak to somebody close to you, and I can understand, and it's not weak that you have to go and seek medical help either. If you don't want to burden, feel like you're going to burden somebody, that's okay. But there are doctors, charities, or even the kindness of strangers. If you start talking to somebody, if they want to listen, um, that's fine. But it, it is a, I think it's a masculine problem. You don't... I think women are very more proactive and would seek help. Uh, and I would say strictly as a, speaking as a guy, as a guy, look at me, as a guy. <laughs> as a um, man. <laughs> fellas, it's not weak to admit that you're struggling it isn't you know i lost i lost my mom three years ago and am i okay with it no of course i'm not uh and everyone that tells you that grief oh it gets easy don't worry it doesn't you just learn to cope with it so every day you sort of develop different mechanisms and there was a time it was it wasn't great i'm lucky and i'm blessed that i've never had the darkest thoughts that clearly were were in Alessandro's mind or other people's mind, and I'm very lucky and I count myself blessed because of the family, the, the unit I've got around me, all my ability to talk about it. Maybe that lifts the clouds, I don't know. But it is okay to go and seek help. And we're going to end, end this. It's going to be quite a short part. We're going to come back after um, this short break. But what I would say to you is... There are charities out there. Please do not suffer alone. The Samaritans is open 24 hours a day, 365 days a week, uh, 365 days a year, and it's there to offer help when it's needed, if it's needed, or just help anyway. Call 116-123 for free any time of the day. You won't be burdening anybody but you could be sorting out the problems and lifting the burden off your shoulders for the rest of your life. And it could change your life forever. So please 
please don't suffer alone. We'll come back to the podcast after this short break. You're listening to the Worcester Observer Podcast because you have impeccable taste. Welcome back to the Worcester Observer Podcast. I think I clicked then. I did a clicking noise with my tongue. Uh, Claire's here with us. We're going through some of the news stories uh, you'll be reading in the Worcester Observer, the festive Worcester Observer, with a sprig of holly on the front as well this week. We can't get that on the website, sadly, but there is a sprig of holly on the paper, so do read the edition at worcesterobserver.co.uk slash editions, and you'll see a nice festive holly. I do hope that's no holly, because I've said that about 17 times. That is holly, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. How, oh. do you, how do you not know what holly is? No, I did, but then I'm thinking to myself, I've <laughs> said it over and over again, and if I'm wrong, I sound really stupid. Do you ever have that with words? If you read, when you're writing an article, and you look at a word too much, and then yes. you're like, that is, that is, it can't be spelled like that. It can't be, it can't be. Oh, regularly. I, I, I do that all the time, yeah. I've changed a sentence that makes perfect sense, because I've convinced myself it yeah, doesn't. I, I've done it too, it's but, funny. Um, <laughs> but it, I think it's, uh, there is such a thing, I mean, not to quote a well-known cleaning product, but that say that you get nosebleed. I think you can get word blind when you're typing. Yes. I think at times your brain just goes, no, that clearly doesn't make sense, which might, on the other side of your brain is clearly screaming at you going, grow up it is. And you just got holly blind. I got holly blind, apparently. That could <laughs> that could be an illness, who knows. Um, We're going to start this part with the obvious place to go and start. And one of the most dramatic election results, nights, mornings, Aftermaths that I think I've ever, I certainly as I've covered as a journalist, and I think I it would go without saying that it would easily be the most dramatic election night since 1997 for me. What time did you go to bed? Nine, uh, nine, ten Friday morning. No, you didn't. You stayed up all night. <laughs> I, I think I made it to about 7am. <laughs> um, yes, wow. ten, 10 past nine, and we'll get onto that in a minute because, um, it was hilarious, and my dear wife looked after me so well on Friday. I have to thank her publicly. Um, but it was one of the most dramatic election nights, and I will hold my hands up now. If you could hear what me and Claire talk about when the recording isn't on, well, we've we've both said we're gonna one day we're gonna do an uncut one, but it may be the last one we ever do because what we actually say is libelous at times. <laughs> um, but we both. We both were in agreement that it was either going to... We feared a hung parliament and more uncertainty, and we both said it was either going to be quite a good majority or a hung parliament. I'll be honest with you, I was leaning towards a hung parliament because I didn't think Boris Johnson had sealed the deal with the British public. I 100% thought it was going to be a hung parliament. I really did. But I actually now, looking back, I'm a bit annoyed with the media because the media, if you read the headlines before, it's not our fault for being so worried because it was all on a knife edge and closest contest in years. The headlines were ah. just annoyingly wrong. But to counter that, look at every single opinion poll. It was never close. But they kept saying it's narrowing in, it's narrowing in. And even, yeah. even um, yeah. But it was narrowing to nine percentage points. Yeah. Um, it's it's amazing because you're totally right. The media narrative was that it's closing in, but I would caution you and say probably a lot of the 
a lot of the Conservative Party were probably welcoming the headlines that it was closing in because it would help them get their vote out, which they did sensationally. Mm. But it's amazing that you look back on it and you think... Because I'll be honest, I thought he hadn't sealed the deal with the British people. How wrong was I? Um, because I have never exp- I've never seen anything conservative to Labour in my lifetime like that. Mm. I was I was fifteen. Labour to conservative, you mean? No, conservative to Labour in the sense conservative sweeping through Labour areas. Oh right, okay. Yeah. I mean, I saw I was fifteen in ninety seven when Tony Blair took apart Tory constituency after Tory constituency mm. to win a landslide. I had never seen in my lifetime a Conservative Party just rampage through. Labour areas. I mean, the list of constituencies mm. and their historic Labour links that have just been taken. It's staggering. What we? Where were you when the um, exit poll came through? Because you've been, you were the one who told me. You've mentioned it several times on previous podcasts. You were saying the exit polls are always pretty correct and pretty correct. So I'd never really taken that much notice of them before. Like normal polls, I, yeah. ju- I just assumed they were. No. So I was actually with my local MP and a whole group of people um, over in Redditch, which is where I live, um, when the exit poll came through. And I suddenly was like, oh, my God, this is, this is, Rob's told me, this is it. And everyone was really celebrating then. But I was still cautious, obviously. I, yeah. Where, where were you? I was, I was actually driving because I was late leaving f- to the, the count. Um, and something made me stop at 10 o'clock and just to look at my phone. So I was in a lay-by off the A38 and I saw it and I thought, immediately I thought, whoa, that looks odd. Mm. Because all the polls, as, as we said, the polls were telling us. Mm. That. And I always have a rule that it's, it's usually right, but they can be wrong, but wait for the first results. And I think it was Newcastle. Newcastle, I think Newcastle South was, Chiawara's seat was the first to declare. And she had like a 20,000 seat majority that went down to like three. Mm. And you thought then, yeah, the poll's accurate. But then when Blythe Valley came in Labour since 1955 and the Tories had won it, you knew the exit poll. And actually, I have to give a huge hat tip to all those behind the exit poll because they were within three seats. Mm. They said Boris would get 368, he got 365. On a national scale, to get to within three seats, that's a heck of a job. So I would have to applaud them. But even then, I thought it, it was still odd. But as I said, that when the results came in, you knew it was going to be a heck of a dramatic night. And what was the atmosphere and the ambiance like at the Guildhall? There was a lot of there was a lot of angry Labour people walking around. Um, some of them didn't believe it. I know one prominent Labour person in Worcester, who I won't name because it was an off the record conversation said that they didn't believe exit polls and we'll wait and see. But it didn't take long into the night before the realisation was beginning to sink home that this was going to be an absolutely cataclysmic night for the party. And there's no way about it. I mean, anyone that wants to come onto this podcast, anyone that wants to challenge me on the letters page to say it was anything other than a cataclysmic night for the Labour Party, be my guest because I will hit you with facts. Do you know what surprised me, Rob, is we've had 
Lib Dems and Green Party candidates as well coming on to this podcast and other local towns that we operate in. And I was really shocked that they didn't do better because the support that some of our local Lib Dems and Green Party candidates have had just seemed, I don't know, was that a surprise to you as it was to me? I was, I, I started the campaign thinking, this is going to be interesting because this isn't going to be the traditional red versus blue. Now, all the other parties are going to get involved. Mm. But it got to the start of the final week last week and I was driving back from covering Jeremy Corbyn's visit as we spoke about on the podcast last week. And it began to feel like 2017 all over again because of Brexit. Mm. Brexit has made politics incredibly tribal but at the expense of all the other parties. And I think you've seen that in this election where the Lib Dems have been strong already, they've or they've been in contention, they've either won or lost the seat. Where they've been the third and fourth party, they've remained the third and fourth party because people have defaulted to type and you're either Labour or you're Conservative. Right. I mean, I Stephen Kearney, who we've had on the podcast, I give him praise because he did add nearly 2,000 onto his vote, to admit, admittedly still finished a long way third in Worcester, mm. but still he grew the vote, which and so he had third place on his own. Uh, the Green Party vote stagnated, but uh, the Greens are in a very odd position in Worcester because they seem to do well on a local level, but right. when it comes to the national election, they don't seem to gain a cut through, mm. which is a shame because what they're campaigning on locally is very much similar nationally and the, the the candidate is a city councillor so he is known to the people in the city how did martin potter do he was the Brexit, last he was the, Brexit the party candidate who then when he had to step down he yes. became his own independent it was independent brexit candidate or independent candidate for brexit or something he changed the wording how many votes did, did he, he get? polled 570 did he 584 votes okay right. uh, so he actually lost his deposit i think mm. um but it's clear people voted well i i think it's too linear to say people voted on brexit i think there's a whole heap of things came in but i think what came out was frustration and i think it was a simple test of who do you want do you want the Conservatives or Labour? And I think the nation, a lot of the nation, chose the Conservative Party. Well, I think a lot of people who probably, like we talked about after the podcast ended last week, <laughs> lots of people, whether you were Remain or for, a lot of people were just like, we need to get Brexit done. I yeah. don't think the country, we don't think our high streets can survive no. another referendum. Um, you know, it, it was the no. case. And as Boris has been on TV several times since saying... Thank you, Labour supporters, for lending us your vote. That Those were his words. Hmm. So I think he does see it as a lending their vote. They'll probably go back to, you know, staunch Labour, etc. But it is a case of people just need an end to this now because it has been horrible, hasn't it? It has been. For the last three years, people have been... People have... Families have broken up over this. Yeah. You know, people have had so many arguments. And they say about taking it to 16-year-olds. Can you imagine if 16-year-olds in school had been... There would have been fights over this. Yeah. It's, it's just... It's been horrible. It, it's not... It's, it's been great uncertainty. And I will admit, you know, as regular listeners know, I am a proud Remainer, and I'm proud of the way I voted. 
but I was actually quite surprised over the weekend recovering because I had to. Rec- I'm 37 now. These election nights do take it out of me more and more. I flew through 2005. I was at work the next day, like, yeah, it's fine, bring it on. <laughs> but now I'm like, the whole weekend is just like, oh. <laughs> but I was actually quite surprised with my how I felt over the weekend. Am I disappointed that we are going to leave the European Union? Of course I am, because I believe we could have a role in the European Union. And of course I'm disappointed, but I'm not angry i'm not angry with the result i'm relieved that we now have a certainty and i would praise the prime minister he has my full support he's my prime minister and these protests that are beginning to they may be fizzling out but these protests we have seen in london not my prime minister he is because he was elected by a majority of people just as the brexit result was a majority of people and that is, democra- that is democracy. And it might surprise Claire to hear that because she thinks at times I'm not respecting democracy. I do respect democracy and I respect the result. And I was heartily encouraged. And I thought Boris was very, very clever. And I hope he sticks to it on Friday when he talked about bringing people together. Mm. And because the biggest thing I posted and I posted on my personal Facebook page which my personal views and I've held off from making political comments through the campaign because I'm very aware I'm the editor of two weekly newspapers but I did make the point that I'll no longer comment on it in frustration I will comment on it going forward as oh I'd like to see that I'd like to see that but I would make the final point that many sensible Remainers I class myself as a sensible Remainer We just wanted our voice heard. We just wanted to be part of the process. And if we're now allowed to be part of the process and can... I would very much like to see the Prime Minister hear Remainer's concerns and say, well, look, what are you going to do about that? Because we're worried about that. And if you want to really heal it, actually say, well, yes, that's a very understandable concern and we're going to be doing this as a government and you'll have sensible Remainers like me on board. But he is going to have to be very clever now because he can't be telling everybody everything because that will undermine his hand in Europe. You know, he's got a big deal to make now. And so I do think he's going to annoy a lot of people by being stumped, keeping quiet about... Because he's going to have to keep a lot of cards close to his chest now to get the best deal. But he's going to annoy people on both sides because... The one devastated party, apart from Labour, um, is the ERG in Westminster because no longer have they got the whip hand. Mm. Boris Johnson now has the freedom and the space, most importantly, to get the Brexit for the whole country, not what a small cabal of people want. And I think that's encouraging, and I think a lot of people... Um, would applaud that. The idea of a second referendum is now dead, which is actually, as a Remainer, I would actually applaud, surprisingly, because I've always said you can't have a second referendum because we never enacted the results of the first one. (laughs) And I think he's now got the space to forge an interesting deal now Mm. because I think as well he may be surprised when he goes to Brussels, he may be surprised at the openness from the EU now, because now they're dealing with certainty. And now they're also a little bit nervous because they're going to have to offer us a lot better terms because Boris could, quite frankly, just say, no, sorry, 
the no deal is almost back on the table. I think I think which you'll, is scary for people. It is yeah, scary for people. But I think you'll see warmth on both sides now because I think the EU was sort of whilst it was very much the deal put together was what Theresa May asked for because of her red lines, mm-hmm. it was a sort of cautionary deal because it was, well, this government could fall apart at any point. Mm. The EU now, I think, have got the scope to actually go, well, look, we will talk about that because we know you're in power for five years. Because mm. let's be honest, the next election is not until 2024 now, mm. barring a catastrophe. Yeah. Because that majority... I know everybody... I got criticised for using the word landslide in on the uh, excellent web cov- web coverage of the. Somebody said it wasn't a landslide. It was. Yes, it didn't have the numbers that Tony Blair achieved in '97, but in terms of taking Labour off the electoral map for five years, it was a landslide. Believe me. I saw a picture um, that somebody had done. Have you ever seen Maggie Simpson and the Simpsons? Yeah. Basically, the country looks like her now. It's yellow. <laughs> her head and hair is yellow. The rest of it's blue, and there's like a little red bow yeah. <laughs> for Labour. It is true, but I do hope Boris, because I've been through it and I've read the. Um, proposal now for Europe and what the previous parliament theoretically agreed before and Europe well, theoretically it, it, yeah it, they agreed it passed its first reading but so. I don't I don't like some of the things like I don't like the whole fishing thing I hate the fact that the Danish fishing trawlers no. can come into our waters so, so I do hope he sort of manages to I think crush some of those now things he'll be able to say yeah. look I don't have to accept that now yeah but I think it would he'd be better off doing it in the spirit of forging a partnership and saying, look, day one, when we're out, we want to be exactly the same as we are now, just without the link. Mm. We want everyone on our doorstep to trade with Britain because we want to trade with everyone around yeah. us. And, and I, I th- can't wait for some of the deals, though, with India. And, and I, think he's got the, yeah. I think he's got the scope to do that. And what impressed me was there seems to be attack to the centre ground. And... Everyone that I've bored over the weekend with this, but I'll keep saying it, that's where elections are won, mm. from the centre. And I think if he looks opposite the opposition benches, Labour now, they, they say they're going to have a new leader in March. Who do you think it'll be? Honestly, and I can speak honestly because the election's now over, I think the Corbyn, Corbynistas will stitch it up and they'll get one of their own, like a Rebecca Long-Bailey in as uh, the new leader and continue an, a, re, a reheated form of Corbynism. Um, I think that's how... Because they don't seem to want to accept that they lost. Mm. I mean, it was Labour's worst result since 1935. It actually eclipsed the disaster that was 1983. That's how bad it was. Mm. 1983 is viewed as a disaster for the Labour Party. The result they achieved on Thursday night, Friday morning, eclipsed that. It was worse than that. The very fact Jeremy Corbyn is still Labour leader this morning as we record this shows the depths of... Because people rejected... He's had two goes against two of... I, I, I choose the word carefully, but I would say divisive Conservative leaders. They're very Marmite, both of them. Theresa May and Boris Johnson, you either loved them or you didn't like them very much. He's not been up against a very popular leader and he's lost both times. If he he lost against a very popular leader, overwhelmingly, I mean, I I know with the Tories, Boris is very popular. 
I mean, nationally. You obviously saw my eyes as sources then. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> Boris no, isn't I mean, popular? Nationally, <laughs> nationally. Give there, it time. Well. There is a division. <laughs> mm. There is a division. And he lost both times because there was Rick, Richard Bergen was on, Richard Bergen was on um, a news channel and said, you know, 2017, you know, we made great strides in 2017. You didn't, you lost. Elections are simple. You have to reach a certain thing to form a majority. Only then will you have won. Mm. There's no such thing as a draw. In general elections, you either win or you lose. You weren't the largest party. You didn't form the government. Ergo, you lost. I, w- I was talking about it to someone the other day. I almost forgot what a majority was like, <laughs> didn't you? I just thought there was constant arguing in politics and in parliament. Four it's, years. I know. It's been four years since we had one. Yeah. And I remember in 2015, the surprise, the exit poll was oh, the Conservatives, the largest party, which re- was revised at 2am in the morning to, we can now predict the Conservatives will get a majority, whereas Thursday night was simple majority. Mm. Uh, in Worcester itself, I mean, there are a lot of conserv- very, very happy Conservatives. They were very cautious at the start of the evening, I must say, but towards the results there was a lot of very happy faces but robin walker is a popular guy people in worcester do seem to really like him i think he think he's been doing a good job yeah uh i mean make no bones about it his majority was at risk 2500 seat majority that's winnable wherever you are no matter who party is if you've only got 2500 you have to campaign hard because that could be lost. Mm. As it stands now, it's 6,758. So all the hard work the Labour Party did in 2017 to get it down to that manageable level, it's gone. Mm. Four years has been wasted. And I don't know why I clicked and if that really needs editing out. (laughs) Um, But the the hard work's been wasted. Uh, And the the claim on the night from the Labour Party, from uh, Lynn Denham, that, well, we haven't added... You know, I think we've done pretty well when you look at the national picture. I'm sorry, that's rubbish. Mm. If the majority goes from 2,500 to nearly 7,000, you've had a bad night. And if anyone of a Labour persuasion is listening and just wants to brand me, you know, conservative, that's fine. I've voted Labour all my life, pretty much all my life until recent years. Um, and I actually protested. And my first vote I could in 2005, I actually voted Liberal Democrat. Sorry, my second vote, because in 2001 I could vote. Um, in 2005, I actually voted Lib Dem in protest against Tony Blair and the war in Iraq. Uh, I've become a floating voter ever since, but I, I grew up in a Labour household. And what Labour were offering wasn't what I understand to be the Labour, Labour Party. It was just free stuff and bashing those with any wealth. Mm. That's not... And it's no coincidence that the Conservative Party talked about certainty, boosting the economy, boosting jobs, and then they talked about things that matter to people on the doorstep. I think we're already feeling the security of this government, though, now, aren't we? Even on our local high streets, we've been talking... I was talking to a local estate agent earlier, and they had a big meeting um, over in Soli Hall, and they were all saying that people are already talking about relisting their houses yeah. in the new year. Yeah. I think it is... Yeah. It's just security. People just it want is. security. Because they know Brexit will happen. Yeah. And I do think that people like the idea of... They're, they're going to start seeing some cash injection into the NHS and yeah. the police and yeah. all that. And I think it's great that there are so many very passionate 
Labour candidates and, you know, Lib Dem candidates who are going to hold the Conservatives to account and make sure these things happen. I mean, I know there is a majority, but there's a lot of people now who have a vested interest in keeping them held accountable. Exactly. And that's the, the most important thing. With great power comes great responsibility. It's great that Boris has got a majority. It's great that for the certainty um, that the, the country do, does need. But that comes with being held to account. He's now got to author Brexit and take it through and take us out of the European Union and expect the questions. So at the end of January, we're going to be out. It looks... Uh, I Bar it... I, <sighs> The problem is the last few years has left me feeling very cautious about politics and I keep wanting caveating every comment with, well, there could be this, but clearly there isn't. But 31st of January, uh, I think 11 o'clock our time, 12, which would be midnight in Europe, uh, we will leave. And so what will happen and with the will, trade and tariffs? Well, and... We will go into a transition period then. Uh, where everything will sort of remain the same, uh, but we will not be—we will not have any voting rights. Britain will no longer go to the EU Council in Brussels and EU meetings, and we won't be voting on EU policy. But we can then, from that date, start taking off the tax on petrol. Start. Um, well, we won't be bound by the yeah, rules, but okay. the, the, there'll be a stand. We will be in transition, so there'll still be things that we have to apply. There's, we won't be able to unlock everything until we fully leave. Right. Uh, Boris Johnson is talking about 11 months to do a trade deal. Um, it has never been done. It has never been done in that time. But I get the impression now with the majority, the EU will know that they can do a deal. And I get the impression Boris Johnson will offer something pretty good. Mm. It'll literally, like, a lot of what we've got now... Well, the blueprint's roll already on. there, isn't roll it? On. We've already been trading with them all this time, yeah, and the blueprint I think, is there. I think he would be foolish not to say, if he tried tariffs on anything, I think he'd be foolish. Mm. I think his best thing would be to walk in and say, zero tariff trade deal on everything. But then the door is open for us to say to India and to America, okay, if you yeah. want to sell your Jeeps in Britain... Uh, the door is open as well, yeah. things like that. That's, so that's so the freedom the that Brexit yeah. will bring. So the competition, but which I, is good for I us would all. hope he would be minded to actually say it's not the EU as a as a continent. It's not Europe as a continent. It's the structure and it's the actual thing that mm. we want out of. We want out of the thing. We don't want it out of Europe. We want to be. Open, you know, open for business. You want to invest in Britain, great, because we want to invest in you. Mm. Um, and if he's successful, um, midnight on New Year's Eve 2020, hard to believe we're talking about New Year's Eve 2020 when we haven't got Christmas 2019 out of the way, mm -hmm. but midnight we will then leave the European Union for good and we'll be a sovereign nation, uh, not tied to the European Union, hopefully with a trade deal. Mm -hmm. But I would... I'm not wishing to delay it any slightest. Brexit's going to happen. I just think politics-wise now, the Conservatives... Boris Johnson can near enough name his departure date now because he's got the security of being Prime Minister for a very long time. But I would look on the opposition benches. There's a lot of disarray. Yes, the SNP are strong, but the Labour Party will have a period of reflection, apparently. The Lib Dems... They rolled the dice and lost. Um, 
So I would hope that if he gets nine-tenths of the way there towards a trade deal, but time runs out, I would hope that he doesn't rush out on New Year's Eve if another couple of months into the spring of 2021. Well, I think he's putting a law that he can't I, delay it. Yeah. I think people now would understand if the trade talks just took a little longer hmm. because Brexit will be... In essence, we will leave. It's just the, you know... You know, it's like buying a house, you know, we've agreed the asking price uh, and it's just sorting out the contracts now, but we are going to move house. Yeah. It is going to happen. So I would hope he would not wed himself to it because if it takes just a little bit longer, I think now he'll have a nation that will go, no, no, get it right. Mm. Let's go, let's go and let's get it done. Let's get it done right. Mm. He he has said though to all of them, you know, they're going to have to work harder than oh, they've yeah. ever worked. Oh, and, yeah, yeah uh, and I think what will be fascinating, um, certainly the first few months of next year, something to look forward, looking ahead, is to see how proactive and how um, on the front foot they are, because there is going to be a sizable gap, because Labour will be electing a new leader. So there's a massive opportunity here for the Conservatives to go, right, it's not just Brexit, it's Brexit and beyond, we're doing this, this, this and this. And if Labour aren't careful, they will become irrelevant. Mm. Um, and I think... what you, I get what you said about... Um, I get what you said about the Labour voters lending their votes and they may go back. They may never go back. Well, we'll see Because if Labour you. follow this path again of socialism... It's been rejected by the voters twice. Mm. You, you can argue all you want. If you're a Labour supporter, you can feel free to argue with me. It has been rejected twice because you aren't forming the government. And that's how a general election works. If you don't form the government, you haven't won. Um, but there are seats in the north of England. I mean, I was doing a blog privately, and if you are interested, go to my Facebook page. There is a link there, but that's very much my private musings and nothing to do with the paper. But I was looking at some of the election results. Blythe Valley, as we've mentioned, Labour since 1955. Workington, Labour since 1918, apart from three years in the 1970s when it went Conservative. But the biggest one that I didn't realise, Rother Valley in Yorkshire, Labour solidly, since 1918, and the Conservatives won it. Wow. 101 years that constituency voted for Labour. In a northern Harland, which Labour would count on, mm. gone. That shows how much... Ed Miliband, Doncaster North, the former Labour leader, he was on a majority of 20,000 going into Thursday night. Wow. Do you know what his majority is now? No. 2,300. Gosh, So yeah. actually, if Brexit goes well, and if the Conservatives govern as Conservatives can govern very well if they do that for five years there's a chance some of these seats that the Tories edged closer to but didn't win they may go over the edge in 2024 mm. well I'm already as I say I had a meeting yesterday with the estate agents and I'm already loving the feel good feeling that's happening in some of our towns already yeah. people are already talking about relisting their I mean listing their homes in the new year and it all starts there. It's the money rolling yeah. in, isn't it? And I it's think it's the certainty. People know, know. People businesses, love certainty. Yeah. Businesses now can say, well, we can throw that plan away, that plan away, because we know Britain's going to... So we need to implement the Britain is going to leave the EU plan. Absolutely. Uh, which, and to be honest, as much of a political egg as I am, 
I actually welcome the certainty because I don't think it was healthy for democracy to go on muddying along any longer. Mm. Um, and I wish the Prime Minister well. I do, genuinely. And I can look at anyone in the face and say uh, that I do wish him well. But I would hope that he realises now the initial uh, of people and the sort of frustration of people's gone now. Mm. They, now they now know if he delivers... Brexit on the 31st, I think he would have bought himself a lot of room because people will see that Brexit has been delivered. And if he can say, look, we've done it because we are out, I think he'll... I don't think he quite realises that I think a lot of people in this country will give him the time. If he, can, if he needed to go to the people and say, look, I know we said we'd be out for good after the end of this transition period, but it's going to take a bit longer because I think I can... But we can start trading with other countries before then, can't we? I think so, we, yes. Yeah, I, okay. I think we can... So. We, we, well, I think we can start looking at trade deals. Mm. But, I mean, we don't... I mean, there are... I think... I would hope... And I think it, it may be clouded. It, people may just go, well, you're a Romanian, you just want to stop in. I don't. I actually, the result, leave, and we are going to leave. I just think now that we are leaving, I think people will understand. But also it will play into our hands if we can start making these trade deals with India and America and Australia even. But we have time. And also, but if we start saying, welcoming American cars or industry into Britain, but we, but we have Europe the time. will... Yeah, exactly. We now have the time. Mm. We are going to leave. I think one thing that... The only thing that's disappointed me is that he, he, he seems to think there'll still be this angst... I think if you deliver Brexit on the 31st of January, which is going to happen, mm. I think you'll find a lot of people will go, well, we've got it now. And I think a good, sensible Prime Minister would just go, well, look, I need time. Mm -hmm. Don't forget next year in America, Claire knows this uh, more than anyone, there is a presidential election. November 2020. There is a presidential be, election yeah. next year. <laughs> so we may not have the United States full attention next year. Let's be honest. You know, the president... Not because he's snubbing the UK or anything. He's got. A, he's going to, for re-election. You know, sorting out a trade deal with the UK is not going to be amongst his priorities. Although knowing Trump, he probably will want you to be like, look at me, look what I well, managed to yeah. do. <laughs> um, but I think it gives us the space of time. And I think you, if you're Boris Johnson, Boris, and Boris, if you're listening to this, one, do feel free to come on the podcast at any time. It won't be an interrogation. It'll be a lot of fun. It would be a dream come true. <laughs> um, but secondly, just give yourself time. Lead, because there is now no, there is now no danger. Mm. Um, he rolled the dice and he won spectacularly. So reap what you won. I don't mean to digress, but what do you, quickly, what do you think about the whole Scottish situation do you think we should offer them another referendum now that they had an equally fantastic success in scotland with the smp i would but the problem the problem is you've had another you you know it was a temper I, I go back to when i said about brexit the scottish referendum was conclusive it was 10 percentage points involved was that 2017 the Scottish referendum because it wasn't that long ago, was it? Or was it before that? Fifteen. Fifteen, I okay. think. In fact, so let me Google. Mm. Oh, the, the Doctor Google will see you now. And mm. um, I'm torn because obviously you have to respect the will of the people, and the will of the people in Scotland is they voted for a party that wants a second referendum. But I would caution 
but the problem is this is the Englishman talking to the Scots, and I know it goes down. When did it? Oh, 2014. 14, yeah. so we were mm. both wrong. Now, this is very much an Englishman talking to the Scots. I'm, believe me, this is not an Englishman telling you what to do. I'm not doing that at all. But if Scotland votes to leave in a referendum, then it would want to rejoin the EU, but that would cause a lot of problems because if the European Union lets Scotland in, they've then got to answer the Catalonia question because, understandably, in Catalonia, which has already declared independence, not legally, um, because the Spanish government don't recognise it, but if they let Scotland in after an independence referendum into the European Union, you're going to have a lot of Catalonia saying, well, you've done it for Scotland when it broke away from England, why not Catalonia? Then the Basque area of Spain will be saying, well, why not us? You know, we're Basques, we're not Spanish. Why do Scotland all have free university and all that sort of stuff, and we don't in England? Because the powers were devolved. Um, Everything apart from taxation was devolved to the Scottish Parliament and the Welsh Assembly. It just seems a bit unfair, doesn't it? It does, but... And we subsidise them over £1,000 well, we pounds But per... we never did devolution properly because we said you can have your own parliament and you can make decisions on near enough everything apart from tax. So they went, OK, and they did. Hmm. But we carried on we carried on handing out money in the Barnet form. You but know. surely they're crazy to want to be independent, like looking at the... They'd, it would cost them an absolute fortune and... Europe would yeah. never... Ex- I'm not sure they would be... Admi- I'm not sure they would be admitted because if Scotland did declare independence, it would create a headache for the European Union because they would have set precedent. And then with the dangers that are going on in the world at the moment, Catalonia declaring independence from Spain, precedent would dictate you've got to, you've got to start breaking Spain up because then if you've let Scotland in after it broke apart from England... There's nothing legally to say, well, you can't stop Catalonia. Mm. I mean, the only technicality I could see would be that the EU could admit Scotland and say to the Catalans, well, you haven't had a referendum that was recognised by the Spanish government. The English government recognised your independence referendum and are happy to let you go. Mm. I don't I don't know. Um, but also Scotland don't have the money to put into the European pot Without no. England's sort of... But this is the rise yeah. of nationalism, you know. This is the SNP's thing. They want an independence referendum. Mm. I mean, I would have thought being beaten by 10 percentage points five years ago would be enough to say, um, we're going to part that issue for a while. But on the other hand, you look at the EU, go back to Brexit, Scotland as a nation voted overwhelmingly to stay. So the problem that Boris Johnson and Nicola Sturgeon have together is that Nicola Sturgeon can go, well, hang on, you're doing Brexit. Not just my party, my nation voted to stay. Mm. So you're taking us out. And this is the problem. That but then again, some my Scottish friend was telling me that it's often just Scottish pride. It, they just want to vote for Scottish SNP. Yeah. But when it comes to staying in Europe or being part of Britain... My friend who's Scottish seems to think that they want to stay part of Britain. So if the vote was again, it might be the same as the 2014. It may be. I mean, it may be. I mean, I always always got struck because I watched STV on the night because you could work something on your Skybox to get STV, which is Scotland ITV. Oh, right. And I was watching the Scottish news to get a real flavour of how the referendum was being covered. And I always remember they encountered this old boy who, and they asked him, can I ask how you voted, sir? 
And it was just like, which way do you think? And it was the older generation telling the younger generation, you might think independence is cool, but mm. there's a lot of risk yeah. there. And then if you look at the other way, it was a... Well, I th- there was a broad spectrum, but there was a... The older, the older generation, I don't mean the pensioners, but older generation were more pro-Brexit than the younger in England. So mm. in England, we were very much wanting independence from... EU in Scotland, they're very much saying. But the- but my point is, in England, we're actually a very wealthy nation. We yeah. were one of the biggest inputters of our money into Europe, and we a lot of us felt like mm. we weren't getting the money back no. out, uh, or the people weren't trading us enough. You know, we were paying a lot more in than we were getting out. But Scotland hasn't got that privilege. No, no, they can't be I doing that. I, I don't, don't. I don't know. Um, it would be a substantial risk. Um, somebody said to me the other day that, oh, it's just, you know, they, she doesn't want another referendum. She just wants more powers. But there's very little power left to give to the Holyrood Assembly. Mm. You know, it's only taxation now. Mm. I just think it would be a real shame breaking and up And if you Britain. went to a full independent Scotland that was still part of the Union, then how would you countenance... What, we'd have an English parliament where only the English MPs would sit? Mm. You know, we'd have two chambers where we'd have the full House of Commons when it was an important union matter, and then another chamber for just the English MPs. And then what about Wales? You know, do you know if it's good enough for Scotland to be fully independent but still part of the union? These are questions that need to be answered, but the problem is that both sides think they're right, because Boris Johnson could equally has got every right to say... I'm not having a. Re- I'm not having another Scottish referendum. I'm not getting. Dra- I'm not dr- getting drawn down the rabbit hole of another referendum well, that's what again. He said so far, and isn't check it? out my majority. Mm. Whereas Nicola Sturgeon can go. You'll give me one. Check out how many seats I won in Scotland. Mm. <laughs> so this is the beauty of politics. Now we can. We've gone from the uncertainty to the tribal arguments again, where both sides are actually right. Oh my goodness! It, it never ends, does it? It never ends, but this podcast does. What a great link there! That I've landed on my feet with that one. Um, it is now time for Claire's What's On Worcester Roundup. For all the things to do and see this week, it's Claire Bullivant with this week's What's On Guide. Thanks, Rob. Yes, loads going on this coming week and all over Christmas in Worcester and Malvern. Sadly, I haven't got time to fit them all in in this podcast. So do check out the paper and also our website for the full listings. But here to mention just a few of my favourite things to do. I'll start tonight on Friday, the 20th of December. Now, this sounds really fun. It's the greatest showman Christmas sing-along with bottomless Prosecco at Worcester Arts Workshop. Possibly the best film ever and also definitely the best drink ever at one of the best places ever in Worcester. It's going to be a great night. See you there tonight at 7pm. Also tonight, Friday night, is JB's 12th annual Christmas special featuring Spencer James and friends at Huntington Hall. This is Spencer's 12th consecutive appearance, this annual Christmas special he keeps doing at Huntington Hall. He's previously done all the other 11 as lead guitarist and vocalist with the legendary 60s supergroup The Searchers, but they disbanded earlier in the year. So now it's his own supergroup and it's it's a brilliant night. It's going to be fantastic. Get your tickets on Worcester Live and there are still a few tickets left, so do hurry, but you can find out all the details on Spencer James. Dot biz. 
Moving on to Saturday the 21st of December, there's a kick up the 80s Christmas party happening at Worcester Racecourse on Saturday night, which sounds really fun. I went to this same event last year and you can't beat it. Christmas and 80s, mix them together. You've got your leg warmers, your crimped hair, your 80s makeup, but also your Christmas hat on. It's fantastic. Do get your tickets, Worcester Racecourse, and it's going to be a great time. Loads of live music also going on all over the place on Saturday night. A few to mention, Fred Zeppelin will be on at the Mars Bar. They always put on a great show. Death Disco versus The Task in Hand Christmas Special at Heroes. Christmas Bandicote with Polka Dot Robot will be on at Paradiddles. And Witcher, everyone's favourite Witcher, is putting on a set at the Unicorn in Malvern on Saturday evening. We've also got Jamie Knight and the Manuka Band on at Huntington Hall on Saturday night. These guys are regular visitors to Huntington Hall, especially for their amazing Christmas show. It's becoming quite legendary. This year is no different. Jamie and his band will once again be playing a mixture of popular Christmas songs, plus a range of swing and pop classics. It's always a fantastic show. Get your tickets from Worcester Live. Then on Tuesday, the 24th of December, Christmas Eve, My top suggestion has to be the service with carols for Christmas Eve at Worcester Cathedral. 5.30pm start there. We're so lucky, aren't we, having Worcester Cathedral on our doorstep. It's a truly magnificent place and these services, I don't know, they just set Christmas off in the right way, don't they? It's truly magical. So do try and get yourself along to one of these services. And if you can try and stay up on Christmas Eve itself, or you're not in the pub drinking the night away, you also really should try and make the Midnight Eucharist at Worcester Cathedral. This one starts at 11.30pm. It's really special. And I promise you, it really sets the scene for the start of how Christmas should be done. You won't regret it. Then after that, of course, is the Christmas Day itself. I hope you all have a wonderful time with your friends and family. And if you are at a loose end, do check out some of the volunteering opportunities with the homeless and various animal charities, all looking for people like you to help out over this Christmas period. It's a really nice thing to do too, isn't it? Happy Christmas, everyone. And back to you, Rob. Thank you, Claire. And thank you for your contribution, my regular partner in crime on these. We set the world to right again every Wednesday. We hope you enjoy us doing so. And if you don't, then feel free to disagree. I'm up for another joust. Uh, A joust? I've gone medieval. What what is all that about? Anyway, quick programming note. As you know, this time next week, there'll be something called Christmas Day. Uh, We won't be here recording on Christmas Day uh, because I'll be busy eating and um, stuffing my face with chocolate and probably drinking uh, a fair amount as well to enjoy myself thoroughly. And on that point, I should just actually thank my wife for looking after me on uh, election day. I forgot to mention that. So thank you, Pam. Love you. Uh, Oh, that's soppy. I do apologise. But we're not here next week, and we won't be here the uh, week after either because it'll be New Year, and after all what I've eaten I'll need to go walking and walk it off because I don't want you seeing me in the state that I will clearly be in but we will be back in January so all that remains for me to say is thank you so much for listening without you without you listening there's no point in us doing this we enjoy doing it and we hope you do too have yourself a very very merry Christmas a peaceful new year I hope Santa brings you everything you ask for and we will see you in January but from Claire Thank you so much for listening. See you in January. And from me, Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. I think we're done here. Bye-bye. Bye.